Welcome back to uh, Hour 3 of the Morning Show. Got Bob Baskerville here with John Reed. We've been talking Super Bowl, and we're going to continue that flow with a special guest. Local product, punted at UT from 2001 to 2004, All-SEC, was a first-team All-American in 2004, played 15 years with the Kansas City Chiefs, two-time Pro Bowler and a Super Bowl champion with the 2019-20 team, the the Chiefs, when they won Super Bowl 54 over the 49ers. He's back in Knoxville full-time. We're excited to have him join us today uh, to join us on the morning show. Welcome to Dustin Colquitt. Hey, bud. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing, man? Doing great. Hey, doing um, good. Yeah, we're good. We're good, and we'll, we're definitely going to want to talk a little ball with you since you've uh, been in this kind of uh, setting before. But just real quickly, catch everybody up because again, you you guys came back to Knoxville, and just tell everybody what you're uh, working on. I know you're doing some stuff with the university, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I'm from like you guys were saying just a second ago. I'm from Knoxville, um, so it's fun to be back in Knoxville after being gone for 18 years. I got an opportunity to be on the uh, special team staff here um, with Coach Heupel, and which, which is fun, kind of finally getting to meet him and see how he kind of goes about work and just attention to detail guy. And so I've been able to – I've been gone for so long, I was able to, you know, to contribute money and a scholarship and a bunch of stuff at the university, but never time. And so this is this is kind of like a really sweet opportunity. Not not everybody can just jump in their first coaching gig at the like a, a caliber program like Tennessee. And so I feel very fortunate I got to play here and did did well enough to where they want me back. Uh, almost kind of being a caddy for the kickers and the punter that we have from Australia, just developing him uh, just so he can have a, a stellar career here at Tennessee and then hopefully in the NFL. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, you being the quote-unquote traditional punter, do you look at the Australian style of punting that, you know, has taken over college football over the last decade with a sada, or how, how do you feel about it? It's, you know, that's a, it is a, that's a loaded question, and I, it was tough. I think it's like, it's likened to, like, Captain America in the movie where he, like, they wake him up, and he's looking around like, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> this culture's changed, like what's going on here. But like I've watched it kind of happen. Darren Bennett is kind of like the godfather of the rugby punt in the, in the league, and he he showed Mike Cypress and Leckler sat there and watched him in division games and on film start doing this end over end punt. And then obviously, you know, once the Australians kind of saw that going on in American football, they got jealous and they started kicking academies in Australia and man, now they're taking over the NCAA and there's a lot of guys punting in the national football league. Now, now that are Australian kind of started with Darren Bennett, um, Ben Graham, uh, Sav Raka. Like there's been some, you know, big, big, uh, Australians that have, you know, come through the national football league and, and made an impact on how we do it. It's the rugby punt is, uh, basically, uh, kind of a safe punt doesn't go as far as a traditional American spiral punt. And so it kind of, it, it, what it helped me to do is to not, I guess I'm not bragging or anything here cause I'm done playing. You can't brag when you're done. Um, 
but I, I was I was able to get to that number two spot all time NFL inside the twenty mark, and it was largely because of that Australian punt. So I'm very thankful for it, and now I get to kind of show a guy that's rolling out, and you know, with the rollout that you're seeing all the Australians doing now, it's to change the block point. It's to kind of put that you know punt return team on their toes, so to speak. You don't know where you're getting rid of the ball. You don't know how you're getting their ball. You can run at any time. And so we're basically using Australians' athletic ability from Aussie Rules football and saying, all right, we want you to look like you're going to run, but then kick it. And they're good with that. So thinking about the Super Bowl, and again, you've been in that setting, it'd be interesting to get your take on you know, it's not like you're necessarily hanging with uh, with your former team right now, but in terms of preparation, going into a game of that magnitude, is there is there anything? It obviously feels different from just the standpoint of the spectacle of it all, the media coverage, everything else, the hype in general. It seems it's only magnified in a season like this. But from your perspective, uh, preparation wise, was there anything that was markedly different than what you were doing all season long? Yeah, just the the length of the the day that the Super Bowl is, and just all the you know that we're they we're hit with a entertainer or jock tax during the season. But until players players and not comedians or actors get hit with the Super Bowl, you don't understand the entertainment factor of it. You're just trying to go out, do your job that you've you know done since you're a little kid and try to keep it in between the lines, good punts or catches, tackles, all that. But the Super Bowl takes on that whole entertainment kind of thing. And But Andy Reid and all of his coaching staff really got us ready you know, for that um, just because he said, hey, there's going to be music. There's going to be longer timeouts. The, it, the timeouts are going to – the halftime in the uh, game is going to go from 12 minutes to over 20 embrace it you can't change it so get ready to be sitting on the bench and you guys go to the bathroom at halftime and get something something to eat and get back out there and watch the show do it like he had us ready for whatever because he'd been there before and experienced it and not as a head coach but as a coach and uh so he was ready for it which we which means we were ready for it and i could walk over there right now it's 909 it's a bad example because they're on desert time but I know exactly what they're doing every day of the week because he doesn't change his schedule. He makes no amendments because he wants you to get kind of careful or comfortable in your routine and just kind of enjoy it. Because when people get lost in the routines, really, they, they're like, well, I'm supposed to be here and they're there, and they don't even think about it. I know my Christia would, you know, at times be like, hey, where are you guys staying? And I'm like, I don't even know who we're playing. Like, they have us in a, on a bus to the airport, on a plane, and then on another bus, and then the the hotel and you're just kind of prepping and getting ready for the game and enjoying, you know, time with the guys in the locker room. So they definitely had us ready. And, you know, I think it's going to be an exciting game just because you have the, you know, the underdogs three and O since 2020. I mean, make that stat up. That's crazy. Was there a moment at practice or in a game where you, where it kind of clicked and you realized that Patrick Mahomes was special. You know, he said his whole first rookie year, maybe there was something there. Maybe it was a preseason game. Maybe it wasn't when he became a starter. But do you remember when you realized, oh, yeah, this guy has it. He is special. Yeah, definitely. You know, he in that first year, you know, you're just trying to figure it out. You're getting used to, like, another speed of the game because in college you, you're playing alongside walk-ons. I was a walk-on at Tennessee. 
and you're, you're playing with guys that, you know, you, somebody gets hurt and a guy that's not on scholarship or not proven or doesn't really necessarily ready for that climb is in the game with you. And the NFL, everybody was their best player at whatever school they were or that late bloomer that in the draft they got right. And so when you're playing with that much talent kind of around you, it's you got to be kind of prepared for that big moment moment and ready and, and working all of your all the skills that that you've been kind of honing in on your whole career and be ready for that big moment. You were there with that Chiefs offense. I know it's a little bit different now. You know, they play a little bit more of a ground control, slow it down, not as explosive as it was, but did you find yourself bored ever because you weren't getting to punt a lot during that time? Yeah, no, and, and to kind of to kind of piggyback off what I was saying was it's like as, as you're kind of fine-tuning for that, you're watching a young Patrick Mahomes that is not sitting at the table Alex Smith is sitting at and kind of watching him work, seeing how his brain works, and then where you really start pat- seeing Patrick like launch is in the season when he's running the number two offense versus the number one defense which usually is an interception fest. And he started like threading needles and making people look stupid uh, so much to where they're like, Hey, we got to get a good look for our defense. You can't just shred them every week. Cause we got to get them like confident and ready for the game, not just ready for the game. You're actually starting to put um, in game plans and take the second string offense seriously and trying to shut them down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a whole different look and to the point where, I told the kicker and the snapper, I was like, hey, we, I want to stay out. We don't need to work out during these, like, seven-on-seven seven and these live drills because I want to watch this kid. He's going to be something special. So we got, like, a front-row seat to, like, all of that kind of development and the competitive nature of Patrick Mahomes where he was like, I'm shredding you in offense. Like, you're, if you're going to get ready, it's because you're getting shredded here in the game. You're going to be ready for that. You just, it's got me thinking, Dustin, from the standpoint of, again, magnitude of the game itself this weekend and everything else that's swirling around these guys right now. And I'm thinking, namely, Patrick and then also, obviously, Travis Kelsey with everything that all the ancillary noise that's happening these days. Sure. Uh, based on your time with those guys, um, it seems they've been showing it in big games in the playoffs, but it seems like they're able to weed out the distraction. Is that just, you know, that's been just from your perspective, is that just developed over years or they just, they're just wired differently? Is it all of the above? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I just think that those guys have learned how to take the regular season with a grain of salt, especially if you're still in that double digit win column, because if you're the double digit win column, you're more than likely going to go to the playoffs. Unless you have like three teams in one division going, and then it's just a, kind of a crapshoot on the on the bottom half of that. But you know the way that Patrick and Travis Kels they prepare, especially the present day last four or five years of Travis, and and how they you know it's two quarterbacks on the on the same team. They know where they're going. They know what they want to do if they get a certain look. I mean, they throw into spots, and they don't during the season when you get a bad call in Green Bay that should be an obvious pass interference call, they don't make a huge deal because they know those comments can come down the line and hurt them later on when they're trying to get calls when they matter the most in the playoffs. 
I, I about four weeks ago, I said, like on Instagram, I said that, you know, the Chiefs are going to be right in the thick of this Super Bowl, and I got, like, crying face emojis, like, all over it. People were like, oh, yeah, right. But I know exactly those guys. I've been in the locker room. I still text with those guys all the time, and I know what they're about. And I know how they're, you know, Andy Reid and uh, Spags and all those guys, you know, prep for battle. And they they take their lumps during the season and get ready for that postseason. When everybody's riding that big wave in the in the regular season, like you see Lamar Jackson doing, and then you come and you look at him and you're like, wow, that is like – what happened? Like, is that the same player? Did we decide to throw the ball left-handed the whole game? And like, it was, it was like a stark difference. And he won the MVP. He's a very good player. But when you, you see the collapse of these guys and you've seen it time and time again from them. So the chiefs are looking around saying like, who do we play that we can't beat when the lights come on that doesn't change and plays that play the same way where we do when the lights come on. And so that's what they're, that's what I see. And that's what they are seeing down the stretch is they've seen guys habits and usually habits don't change. And when the lights get big, sometimes guys change and Kansas city has done the best over since 2019 of, of not changing when the lights come on. I gotta be honest. I was not one of those people on your Instagram trolling you or laughing, but I was one of those people that did not see it with this year's Kansas city chiefs. I just didn't think the skill position players were good enough and, and I didn't think Mahomes had the help, but the players have stepped up in the postseason. So, like you're saying, when it, when it came time to perform, all of a sudden Travis Kelsey looked like Travis Kelsey again, and you had some of the other receivers step up. I got to ask, you won in the Super Bowl in 2019. Was it as cool as you thought it was going to be? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not, you know, as a man of faith, it wasn't anything like, you know, the uh, you know the other realm or anything like that. And it was just special because it's one of those things where I was pressured since I was a little kid of, you know, your dad has Super Bowl rings. And, you know, and if that wasn't rough growing up playing every sport, and if I wasn't good at them, people would be like, dude, you're terrible. Your dad's like a world champion. Like, why are you bad at this? Then my brother won one at Super Bowl 50. And then I was the brother that doesn't have the Super Bowl ring. Or now I'm Britain's brother instead of, Hey, aren't you Dustin's brother? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. And you know, with that, I'm actually standing right now at work in the Peyton Manning room and, uh, doing this interview. And I remember the sheriff going to a couple teams when he left Indy and I was like, man, this is going to be awesome wherever he lands, except for he landed in Denver. And now Britain has a super big shot at win a super bowl. And obviously I was, you know, happy and proud at him for that, but yeah, I'm a little jealous. Yeah, and, and super jealous. And for four years, I got the, you're Britain's brother. You're the one without the Super Bowl kind of crap, and um, which was funny. But, yeah, it's, it's such a big game that the, the, the big blessing was that two weeks prior, we played in the AFC Championship game, and for the first time in ever, it, you know, we play an AFC Championship game at home and win and bring Lamar Hunt Trophy, our, our owner's, it dons our owner's name back into the building, which was super cool for Norma Hunt. You know, Lamar had passed in 06, uh, and, and then Lamar Jr. and Clark and Dan and Sharon, Munson Hunt, like they all got to relish in, in, in that victory, kind of monkey off the back kind of stuff. And the grandkids, which I watched in diapers all the way up now, they're in SMU. 
Um, so yeah, it's been, it was that AFC championship kind of like set the table for not going down to a Super Bowl because absolutely not, but that was a huge emotional, almost like U2 religious concert type <laughs> feeling. I mean, people crying, confetti everywhere. It's freezing cold. You think you're going to get frostbite on your nose or fingers because it gets so dang cold in Kansas City late. I mean, 15 winters there was pretty brutal weather and wind-wise. But, yeah, so that the, the those two back-to-back, um, you know, three-week stretches – were that prepared you for the Super Bowl until like I was good. We did a Latin Mass day of the Super Bowl, which was really sweet. Um, then we uh, get through all the pregame meal. I slept good the night before pregame. Uh, I punted well in pregame. Every you know Harrison was really kicking well, and then they put up um, on the bit on the jumbotron up there. Um, I catch my eye catches the jumbotron, and I looked up. I was like, "Oh crap!" Has my last name on there? It says, "If Dustin wins today, he joins his father Craig, brother Britton, as the only father-son Super Bowl family." And it like I was like, "Oh dang it!" I should not have looked up at that. It was like instant pressure. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Dustin. One more question out the door, and it's from our producer Sam, who he and my co-host here are big Titans fans, so they've got he's got a Titans question for you as we wrap up here. Nice. Dustin, I got to ask you in that you're talking about that 2019 AFC Championship game. Uh, the Titans were playing a great first half coming leading into that. And then obviously Mahomes with that huge, like 30 yard scramble touchdown run to end this first half. Uh, you know, it, it really felt like that was the turning point in the game. And Mahomes is a player that can really just have one play that can just flip a game kind of on its head. Could you feel that? Uh, as a player and in that locker room kind of after that play that that game kind of flipped and that momentum was in y'all's favor for the rest of that game? Yeah, definitely. And it always, you know, it it doesn't always come down to one play like that. But really when you look back at the, the series of games that we came from behind and won, I think of the fake punt against the Houston Texans that they tried to pull off when it was 24-3 to or 24 nothing, mm-hmm. And we stuffed it scored immediately scored again and it it changed look we should have never won that game if if we weren't in six box and they went to an automatic fake call we would have never won the houston game and we would not be talking about this today which is crazy but then you take it the next level and we've had that happen and break our hearts against the titans where Mariota throws that pass it gets batted he catches it and runs in for a touchdown in indianapolis bob's in the indie guy you know, Andrew Luck fumbles a football. It jumps right back up in his face, and he runs in for a touchdown. And they come – we totally dismantle. And they, they – I think we come down for 24, 28-point deficit, and they end up beating us in Indy. I think it was 27. Alex, yeah. I remember watching that at the casino and that Andrew Luck play you're talking about. I, I never brought uh, that up with you, Dustin. Sorry. This is all that. taking oh, a bad no. turn for me. I, I'm a Titans fan. I was in Kansas City when that <laughs> happened. Uh, I was at the casino. I bet on the Colts that game, or I bet on the Chiefs that game and the 27-point comeback. This is all just making me upset, Dustin. I know, and I'm sorry. You asked the question, but it's true. Like, I look back at all of these one-play games that if that wouldn't have happened, I mean, I may have a chance at, like, two or three Super Bowl rings. And so, it like, really, really sucks. When, and one that year, that same year that Mariota throws that catches his own pass and runs in the end zone, Travis gets dinged, yep. gets hit, and they they say he's got a concussion, and it was bogus. Like he was totally fine. He didn't play again, 
and we were up 21 to whatever at halftime. Like we should have won that game. And so, but man, that, that, what you're talking about, like down that sidelines and that run, it's, I liken it to the Titans. And this happens a lot with Patrick just because of how he can wiggle his hips and how he can, how he can pump fake and everything that he does. He just studies these outside linebackers. He studies everything so, so much that like when he runs down the sidelines, I see these defensive guys and it seems like they're in a dream and Patrick is running and they're at full speed, but they just can't catch him. And he's not like a four or five guy, a four or six. I don't know if he's a four or seven guy. I really, you know, whatever it says, I'm not sure if it's true, but I know that he's faster than anybody else that's running after him. And it's fun to watch because it, it, it puts in that. I know in, in my dreams, I'm, I can't run. I'm super slow. I can't get away. And it seems like that's what happens in these certain times, in these big moments. Patrick's just a little bit faster than the other people. Yeah. Hey, it's going to be fun this weekend. Hopefully uh, you don't get too nervous watching, Dustin, but uh, good luck to your to your guys. And uh, thank you, man. Can't thank you enough for joining us today. This has been fun. Good stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll hope to talk to you again. Best to you and your family. Yep. You too, guys. I appreciate having me on. Yes, sir. All Sam, right. thanks for uh, bringing up you the too. Titans memory. Appreciate you, Sam. Good job by you. I had you. to ask. I had to ask. You know, hey, talk about a haunting memory for yeah. me. Like. Hey, Tear it open, man. Hey, remember that play that swung the AFC Championship game that <laughs> ended the uh, ended the season? Basically, he talked about it. I mean, I think the Chiefs have had a ton of things that have tiny little plays that have gone their way and not gone their way. I think it's to me that stuff is so interesting. Those like one little plays that can change like the course of someone's entire career. Like who knows where Mahomes' legacy is right now if that play doesn't happen. I always think about the Titans game, but yeah, you kind of forget that they were down twenty four nothing against Houston. Right. I forgot about that fake yeah. putt that Houston kind of inexplicably tried that that did swing that game. Mm-hmm. We'll come back. We'll do our weekend bet away with Eli Herskovich, thelines dot com. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. It is time for our weekend betaway. Eli Herskovich, thelines.com. Oh, I can feel the energy in the air, Eli. Positive energy, positive vibes. We're going to pick some winners today. How are you this morning? Doing great, guys. Excited to talk Super Bowl and college basketball. Big weekend ahead and a lot of bets to be made. A lot of bets to be made. Let's get right to it. Let's do. Let's get college basketball out of the way. It'll be our little appetizer. We got some of that Friday night, Saturday night action. What's standing out to you this weekend? Yeah, so one of the teams that we discussed a couple weeks ago was Auburn, and a team that I bet to win the title going back to late November at around eighty to one. Now, among the upper echelon teams, when you look at the odds for to win the national title, especially over at thelines.com. And they have a big game at Florida this weekend. I see this as a potential letdown spot here for the Tigers after a big win in the Iron Bowl, at least basketball-wise. And this is a Florida team that wants to attack the offensive glass with Hanglot and Samuel. I know you guys saw the Vols dismantle Florida, what, two, three weeks ago in Knoxville. But this is going to be a difficult game for Auburn in the swamp if they can't get up for it like we saw in a similar letdown spot for a different conference, but North Carolina against Clemson when Clemson came into the Dean Dome and upset them as around seven, eight-point road dogs. So 
if Florida is able to generate those second chance shots, I look for the Gators to pull off the home upset. But I will say, we've seen ad nauseum sports books and odds makers shade towards home teams. So don't automatically take the Gators if this line is around 2 3. You probably need a couple possessions. Yeah, yeah, we kind of made that mistake last weekend with some of the home teams, at least I did. We had talked about St. John's, and they kind of rode that wave early in the game, but then UConn kind of overwhelmed them. And then on Sunday, same thing, you you took the you took the points with Wisconsin at home against Purdue, thinking like, hey, a home team is going to get over the hump here. And it was kind of a similar script to that game where Purdue kind of you know choked them out. So the home team doesn't seem, at least from the last couple of weeks, to be as profitable as years past. A hundred percent. And that just goes to the point that you don't always like another game that you guys well know is coming up this weekend, Tennessee and Texas A&M. That's a spot where I would certainly look towards the Aggies. If you're catching around two possessions and with the way that Tennessee is going to be priced into the market, especially after winning that Rupp last weekend, I would expect this line to open around five or six and, A&M has been one of the more perplexing teams offensively and really at both ends of the floor, even though their defense has not necessarily taken the biggest step back. But shooting under 27% from three when you have guys like Wade Taylor and Tyrese Radford, who are historically, or at least last year, pretty solid and pretty efficient shot makers from behind the arc. So. Interesting spot for sure to watch for for Tennessee. It's not a letdown by any means like it may be for Auburn at Florida, but if Texas A&M gets any positive variance from behind the arc against a Tennessee defense that likes to pressure the ball and run you off the three-point line, but if you could beat them out in transition, you can get to the three-point line and get some open looks. You just mentioned Tennessee's big win over Kentucky last weekend, Eli, and um Kentucky's got an out-of-conference matchup this weekend with Gonzaga. And, boy, at the beginning of the season at face value, that looked like a titanic matchup. And it's still a good one, but their team's in different spots. Kentucky's scuffling a little bit. They won big in their middle middle week game this weekend, or week, rather, against Vanderbilt. But Gonzaga's actually kind of a bubble team this year. And uh, just kind of curious if you have that on your list as a, as a game to focus on. Absolutely, and Gonzaga is not only a bubble team. I think they're out of the NCAA tournament, which is crazy to say. I have a history question for you guys. Going to put you on the spot. Who was the president the last time Gonzaga missed the NCAA tournament? Bush, the original one. You're close. Ah, Bill Clinton. Damn it. Bill Clinton going back to 1998. That is the Ah. last time. Zags have not been in the big dance. And if they're not able to generate similar to Florida, get those offensive rebounds against a Kentucky team that is not only a liability on the defensive end, but also on the defensive glass, then I think Gonzaga may get run out of rub just by their poor transition defense. And if Tennessee didn't hit those threes, and granted that was a product of Kentucky's lackadaisical defense last weekend, then Kentucky's transition offense probably would have been enough to win that game. So if Gonzaga isn't able to be a force on the glass with Watson, who is really taking a step after Timmy left, then I think Kentucky's transition offense, especially with Dillingham and even if Wagner 
and Trey Mitchell don't play after missing the Vanderbilt game. I, I think Kentucky's elite, elite offense, fifth-rated adjusted offensive efficiency, gets the job done. i got to be honest, Eli, I'm kind of an idiot because uh, I was thinking that Bush was, was president in 96. I forgot Clinton was a two-term president. So that's why my math was wrong. I, I could have gotten that question right. <laughs> I excuses, excuses. I didn't fail the I sports hear. side of it. I felt the history, <laughs> civic side of it. So that's on me. Of these I, teams – go ahead, sorry. No, I respect the honesty. Yeah. Of these teams and at this price, does anything stand out when you're looking at SEC regular season conference championship winners? Auburn at plus 130, Tennessee at plus 165, Alabama plus 340, South Carolina plus 950, or Kentucky plus 9,500. Does anything stand out as some potential value? Maybe Kentucky if they improve their defense, but... I think we're deep enough into the season where that's not going to happen, at least to the degree that it has to happen to win a regular season title. Maybe we see them make a run in the SEC tournament. That's all about matchups. And then you get a step further. Matchups become even more of a prominent part of the conversation once we get to March Madness. But Auburn was the valuable play, like I brought up to you guys when it came to preseason or at least early on in non-conference play when I bet them to win the national title. I don't think plus 130 is super valuable. Now, you are getting a little bit of a discount on Tennessee, and Tennessee gets Auburn in Knoxville in, what, two, three weeks? Hopefully we don't get a dreadful game like we saw offensively. Yeah, you guys probably saw it firsthand. I still have nightmares about that, Eli. In the 40s, right? What was going on last year? I still have nightmares. We have, we have Tennessee's assistant basketball coach on, too, and he brought that game up two weeks ago, too, and I think he still has nightmares about it, too. Yeah, I don't blame him. So hopefully that game is a little bit more competitive, at least up and down. Both teams converting in transition. I think there were around 90 to 100 missed three-point attempts from both teams. But I do think if, if I had to bet one right now, I would probably take Tennessee just based on the number and the value just considering Tennessee was around even money uh, two weeks ago, but I don't think I could pull the trigger on any team right now. All right, let's switch gears. The big game coming up Sunday. San Francisco currently two-and-a-half-point favorites. A slight lean on the juice to the Chiefs at plus uh, at minus 115, excuse me. Where are you standing right now on either that or the over-under of 47-and-a-half? Yeah, I have a bet on the total for this game. Uh, we can talk spread and potential winner in a second. Not immune to that conversation, but I really like the under, under 47.5. I haven't pulled the trigger just because I'm waiting to see if it gets up to 48. And the big thing to keep in mind with a game like this, because it is the only game left of the season and it's such a big handle, you're not going to get a super big edge on the spread, total money line. Player props are probably the biggest edge, depending on how much you can get down and how you model a particular player or whatever it may be. But these markets are so liquidated at this point where there really isn't any value. So that's not to say that I don't like my position on the under. I'm just not going to have as big of an edge on it as I would a regular season game or an early round playoff game, something like that. But with that said, I think both teams are going to move the ball at a slower pace, especially when you look at San Francisco dead last in the NFL and adjusted pace. And unless 
the 49ers pull a Todd Munkin and what, from what we saw with the Ravens a couple of weeks ago and decide to veer away from the ground game, the Chiefs' defense is most vulnerable against the run, whether you look at explosive carries allowed, which maybe you could you know, correlate to chunk plays, but it's still going to grind the clock a little bit. And you look at EPA per carry allowed and rushing success rate, all the various rushing metrics the Chiefs struggle in. So if San Francisco can pound the rock, that correlates to, like I said, draining clock. And then Kansas City offensively, if San Francisco operates with a zone defense, which is what they predominantly do, we've seen Patrick Mahomes, even with a below-average receiving core, I guess, compared to what he's used to, even though Travis Kelsey has taken a big step in the playoffs and looking like his old self, Mahomes has had a ton of success against zone coverage. But I would expect the 49ers on two weeks of prep here to run a bit more of man, and they also are one of the better defenses when it comes to covering the middle of the field when you look at their linebackers, especially the all-pro Fred Warner. And that is a big factor potentially in terms of stopping Travis Kelsey, which is kind of the key to limiting Mahomes based off of what we've seen in these playoff games and how reliant he's been on Kelsey early on to kind of get into a rhythm. So, like I said, low-scoring game if both defenses project the way I expect. And if San Francisco, you would think under Shanahan, runs that gap run scheme to the fullest extent that they can and get a positive game script, then I think this goes under the total. Fade, take, or pass? Kind of self-explanatory. I'm going to give you a couple of hour picks, and you tell me if you're going to fade that, take that, or pass. It's a new segment I just created, Eli. Feel free to use it on thelines.com. <laughs> Sounds like I know where you're going, but my producer Sam says his best bet of the game is the under in the second half, 23 and a half. Kansas City has struggled all year to score in the second half, and meanwhile their defense has been good at keeping teams from scoring a lot in the second half. Fade, take, or pass? I got it. Take it reluctantly just because I'm not a Treads guy. And I think the Chiefs are either 18 and 2, 19 and 1 when it comes to the second half under. So, Sam, I would definitely, if you're a Trends person, you want to follow that one. But I'll take it, like I said, kind of, sort of. But I'll, if, you, if you're putting me on the spot, I'll go with it. That sounds a little bit like a pass to me, Eli, just to be honest. But fade, <laughs> take, or pass my best bet of the game. Brock Purdy rushing yards over 12 and a half. I'll, I will fade it. Just ah! because, yeah, I hate to, I, I, I like Sam's position. I'm going to, I'm going to take it overall. But yeah, this is a Chiefs defense, especially with Willie Gay healthy and he missed the AFC championship game. Keep that in mind with, I think, a neck stinger. He's their quarterback spy and one of their best linebackers overall, especially in coverage. So, It's not like Purdy is a Lamar Jackson kind of playmaker on the ground, but he still has made his fair share of plays, especially going back to the NFC Championship game in the rushing department. But with Gay and in a potential positive game script, unlike against the Packers, unlike against the Lions, I would take the under. All right, last one. Fade, take, or pass. I'm doing a combo. Travis Kelsey. Taylor Swift, MVP, 14-1. to 1. Isaiah Pacheco, 25-1. to 1. I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on both of those. Kelsey, obviously, for the narrative and the Swifty magic. Pacheco, because I think he has a chance of having like 90 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. 
fade, take, or pass. You roll with either one of those. I, I'm not going to fade the Kelsey one just because, A, it would be a fun story, even though I would have to put on put on earmuffs probably for the next three months, all the Taylor Swift talk we'd be hearing. I don't know if you guys are necessarily in that camp or the kind of coverage you would be getting here. But I, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't take the no price. I mean, that would be an absurd number. But I, I think the 49ers are able to match up well, like I mentioned, over the middle of the field with Warner and Greenlaw. They do it at a very high level. Kelsey is a different beast, especially with the way he looks. He looks like he's playing in his mid-20s rather than mid-30s. But I wouldn't go Kelsey MVP. I do like your Pacheco look, especially with this game likely being a lower-scoring game, or at least that's how I project the script to go. And the Chiefs should have success on the ground. The 49ers have been vulnerable against both the Packers and Lions in that department. So, if a Chief has a big game and this one winds up being of the lower scoring variety, Pacheco is not a bad luck for MVP. Hey, Eli, here's a question for you, you know, because I have to believe with a, a Super Bowl, you have more people who are probably not frequent betters, ones that are, you know, just doing it to have a little skin in the game on that particular day because it's, a, you know, kind of a ad hoc national holiday. If somebody was wanting to invest a little bit of money, take a calculated risk that if you know, it, even if they lose, it's not going to be it's not going to be much of a loss. But if they win, it could be something big. And I'm thinking in terms of MVP. And I know you wrote a little bit about this on the lines. Who do you like for something like that? And is it you know because what we've seen in the Super Bowl from time to time, not always, but every once in a while, you have somebody just kind of emerge out of nowhere as an MVP. Yeah, so two of the players that I wrote about, two players that I just touched on, Warner and Greenlaw, big, big, big numbers over at BetMGM, which is one of the legal books, I believe, that's available in Tennessee. And you could price shop, like I mentioned, over at thelines.com. But Warner, 200 to 1, Greenlaw, 500 to 1. So very, very sprinkly kind of bets. Uh, we're talking couch money that you find in between your cushions. Right. Uh, maybe some cash that you would... Use on a pizza, although your listeners and viewers are probably doing just that on the time game day for the Super Bowl, whether it's for lunch, dinner, or just a snack. But I like both linebackers, both kind of long shot darts as Super Bowl MVP picks. If they slow down Kelsey, maybe get a pick. I mean, keep this in mind. Going back, the lowest total we've seen since this game was Super Bowl, what was it, in the last like six or seven years, mid. Uh, middle of the last decade with the Panthers and the Broncos, that total closed around 45, and you saw Von Miller win Super Bowl MVP. He had a big strip sack, and that was a lower-scoring game. Cam Newton and that explosive Panthers offense was held in check. Now, last year, you go back to Chiefs-Eagles, that total was 54. So you were talking about a total that was seven points higher than or around seven points higher than the market is currently sitting at for Chiefs 49ers, and Hassan Reddick closed around 25-30-1, to 1, the Eagles' defensive end, to win Super Bowl MVP. Now you're looking at the shortest odds of a defensive player in this game with a total seven points fewer is Joey Bosa at 45-1. to 1. So I definitely think just numbers-wise, value-wise, just kind of correlating this to implied probability that this game is likelier to be of the lower scoring variety, especially with the conversation we had of 
the trend that Kansas City has been dominant when it comes to shutting down the opposition in the second half. Now, maybe you take Chris Jones or one of the Chiefs stud cornerbacks, Trent McDuffie or Legereus Sneed, if you like the narrative that Kansas City's defense comes to play in the final 30 minutes. But if San Francisco is able to shut down Kelsey and shut down this short, intermediate Chiefs passing offense that Mahomes has been pretty reliant on in the playoffs, then I think one of the Niners linebackers, like I said, I'm not talking your standard unit size bet here, but a small wager, sure, on a defensive player to an MVP is worth it. Just a little sprinkle on top, just a little sprinkle. Exactly. We all need a little fun, a little sweat in our life, right? You can get any defensive player at plus 1,800, or like you said, you can sprinkle and grab a couple guys. Bosa, I'm looking right here, 80 to 1. Chris Jones, 110 to 1. Fred Warner, 140 to 1. That might be the route I go and just root for that. I might just go defensive player and then sprinkle some of those guys. Eli, on the way out, do you have one bet or anything you want to get off your chest and get on record here? I'll give you a chance to – the floor is yours. Whatever you want. If you want to pass on the total – or if you, or excuse me, I know you've got the under. If you want to pass on the side or money line, you don't have to pick there. That's fine. We're not going to make you. Just give me your best bet or anything you want to get on record before the uh, Super Bowl. Yeah, best bet under 47.5 or wait to see if it shifts up a little bit on game day. Kelsey under, I like too. That one's sitting around 74.5. So kind of fading your MVP pick pretty – Pretty much there, but he's not uh, my MVP I, pick. It was, it was just saying, you know, just the, the the narrative. Taylor Swift. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, no, I hear you. And luckily, she will be making it from Japan if anyone was concerned from her Tokyo tour. But I digress. Kelsey under, but similar to the full game under. Wait to see if that one gets bet up anymore. Uh, I would expect when you see tweets about, okay, who are the most bet player props. For the Super Bowl, Kelsey is definitely going to be high, if not number one on that list, just based off of Taylor Swift and all the Swifties watching that game. So Kelsey under receiving yards, maybe under receptions, if that one gets bet up a little bit as well. And then, like I said, I'm not talking best bet, but long shot defensive players are definitely worthwhile if your listeners and viewers agree with the sentiment that we get a lower scoring game. Eli Herskovich, thelines.com. Check him out. Eli, appreciate your time as always. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it as always. Have a good weekend. Best of luck in the big game. I kind of like Kelsey, got to tell you. I didn't want to say it there. But, um, hey, you're playing with fire if you're going against Kelsey. What I will say about that, though, is just, it, it, to me, if the Chiefs lose or if they win, it's going to be on the back of their stars. I think you've seen that in the playoffs. Right. You've seen Mahomes say, hey, I'm going to Kelsey. Kelsey's either going to make this play or he's not, but I'm throwing him the ball. So, like, I, I would be surprised if Kelsey didn't have, like, at least 10 targets in this game. Yep, I agree. Every big third down, every fourth down, I imagine he's going to be looking for Kelsey. And Fred Warner's great. Fred Warner's one of the best linebackers in the league. I get that. Maybe it's San Francisco just double-teams him, but if they're playing a zone especially, like, Kelsey's going to be able to get – six or seven yards at the field, turn on, catch the ball. So I don't necessarily love that. But you can rev up your savings at Volunteer Auto Group, your one-stop destination for quality vehicles at unbeatable prices. You can cruise through their vast selection of pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs, and they've got flexible financing options that make it easy for you to drive home today. The drive 
is going to be out there today from 3 to 6. Volunteer Auto Group, where every deal is a winner. 1501 Callahan Drive. You can check out their selection online at volauto.com. Again, the drive is going to be out there today from 3 to 6 at the Volunteer Auto Group. 1501 Callahan Drive. Appreciate Eli for joining us. Hope we get some winners coming out. Let's go, Eli. Let's go. We'll wrap this week up on the other side. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, last call here on the program for the week as we get you set. Final thoughts on the Super Bowl, Bob. Now or never. I like the Chiefs. Are, are you being swayed by your relationship with Dustin Colquitt? <laughs> no, I, I just think that, again, I think about that two weeks ago, that Baltimore game. I was so all in on Baltimore, and that's where I think I learned my lesson. That Just like in, col- in the college football regular season and with Washington, I, I kept – saying they're not legit they're not legit they're not legit and at some point you got to accept the fact that they were they were legit and so I, I feel that way with Kansas City at this point it's like I'm I'm done betting against them I think they I think they go and I think they take care of business and I think they win I still don't know if I think they're legit I just think they know how to win in the playoffs like I still don't think they're the best team in the AFC that's not legit well I mean I, still think, I, don't, I don't think they're the best team in the AFC uh, that's probably true but I, I mean, like, I, 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 there was plenty of years I felt that way about the Patriots too. Best team doesn't always win. No, I know. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think I thought the Patriots were the best team on like half of their Super Bowl wins. It's just kind of like, ah, oh, you know, they got lucky there at home, and oh, they got lucky in the Super Bowl, and Russell Wilson threw an interception, and man, the Falcons just completely collapsed. And I don't think they were better than them. Oh, the Ravens should have beaten them in the AFC Championship. Blah blah blah. Lee Evans dropped the pass and. But they just kept winning and kept winning and kept winning. And, like, it does feel like the Chiefs feel – the Chiefs feel like the Patriots to me this year. This is a Patriots type of team. Not not offensively just going to overwhelm you, but it's like we're going to beat you with our secondary and we're going to make enough plays with our quarterback. And that's kind of how the Patriots won a bunch of Super Bowls. I couldn't help but think when Colquitt was talking about how, you know, he believes Andy Reid, you know, the way he kind of – he's such a metronome for those guys just – you know, focus on the business, kind of saying it is what it is, half times longer. It's really interesting because think about Evan McPherson with the Bengals that he was out there. Remember how much how much uh, heat there was that he was out watching the halftime show? He's saying Andy Reid's like, go out and watch it if you want. You know, it's like um, I, I think he's made for the moment now. We were talking about him as a coach earlier. He, all that he's learned, all he's accomplished, He's the steadier hand between him and Shanahan just by virtue of he's done it and he's been there more. So I think that that matters. Shanahan, two Super Bowl appearances. So, I mean, he's not necessarily a noob, yeah. a newbie to it, but I do think Brock Purdy is. And the halftime and the the process, that's something that Brady's talked a lot about. Like, hey, that's something that's changed over years, but it's also something that you've had to get used to. He's like, I kind of realized, hey, I can't really wrap myself up because – the pregame festivities are so long, halftime so long. You got to know when to get your body really going to hit your peak, and like to know when to peak in the game. And 
Bray talked about, you know, the experience and the experience in the Super Bowl so many times, kind of training him for that. Mahomes is at that point now, right? This is Mahomes' what, fourth Super Bowl appearance? Yes. He understands the process of the Super Bowl. He understands when to go, when not to go. I just it's crazy because whenever I was doing talk sports, I argued all year the Chiefs ain't got it, Chiefs ain't gonna win. And now here I am on the cusp of Super Bowl Sunday. I'm kind of just like, it feels inevitable. It feels like they have everything you want when it comes to winning this game. I do trust their quarterback more. I do trust their coach more. I trust their defense more, too. Like, no one's been able to really do anything against that secondary. And now I'm supposed to think Brock Purdy's going to do it? Really? A guy that, like, you know, basically into the fourth quarter against the Packers game looked like he was going to get benched? Looks like they're going to like find a new guy to like replace him in the offseason. A, a team that was down 24 to 7 to Detroit. I'm really supposed to think they're going to be the ones Brock Purdy's going to be the one that moves the ball against this this Chiefs secondary. I don't know. Those comebacks have got to be just as impressive though too, you know. Being down that much in two of those games, still well, coming back and showing that they've got the the grit kind of to get to that point. Yeah, great know? job by the gritty 49ers for the Packers field goal kicker missing a chip shot field goal. Yeah, great, I mean, great job by that. But I mean, yes, the Detroit one, sure. Like, you do give them credit for not falling for not falling apart and for like staying with it. And like San Francisco's legit. I don't want to act like they're a fluke. I, they're a really good team, and I they, I think they've been the best team in the NFC all year. Like they're they're worthy of being here. It's just. Like, I think the Chiefs have been just as inefficient in the playoffs. It's just that defense has been much better than the Niners. For sure. But also, like, we have more of a track record with Mahomes in these. Yeah, you do. Have we gotten your pick, Sam? I'm riding with the Chiefs, yeah. Oh. Uh, to me, it's not a... I'm actually surprised. I thought you were going to say the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels kind of like how you got, like, oh, Alabama and Nick Saban in the SEC Championship this year as an underdog. Like, I'm just not going to... I'm going to take my licks if he loses, you know? Like, I'm just going to take Mahomes as an underdog and, and ride with it. If you are making a pick to actually bet on the game, ask yourself, what will you feel dumber mm-hmm. doing? Exactly. At a certain point, that's where you have to kind of right. go. That's all are it you, is. Are you going to feel dumber for picking Brock Purdy and laying points or laying minus 130? Or are you going to feel dumber for betting on Patrick Mahomes? There are very few times I'm going to feel dumb betting on Patrick Mahomes. But, boy, I'll tell you, when I let Eli convince me to take the Ravens two weeks ago, I felt really damn dumb that time. Felt really damn dumb for thinking that Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills were going to beat Patrick Mahomes. Did I feel dumb when I took the Chiefs against the the Bucks in the Super Bowl? A little bit. Because that was like betting against Tom Brady in that defense. But I was like, yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes. What can you expect? I'm going to ride with him. That's where I'm at. I'll just I'll take the Chiefs and maybe I feel dumb on Monday, but I'll promise I won't feel as dumb as if I take the 49ers and Patrick Mahomes finds a way to win a game. Bob, you on the the Chiefs as well? I'm on the Chiefs. It's a clean sweep with the morning show. We're oh, uh, God. Yeah. Oh God. Let's That'll hope, go great. <laughs> let, let's hope Monday morning it's uh feel good vibes. Tennessee wins, Kansas City wins. Oh, that means the 49ers are about to win a blowout, and Eli's not going to hit his under, and we're going to go 0 for 3. Oh, God. The G.I. Jake Show coming up next. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio. Have a great weekend. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, 